0: Hey, we're in week 5 of our series uh, Radical Summer, uh, small acts, big impacts, and uh, today we're going to dive into kind of a neat subject, but I want to remind you that uh, we're kind of under the heading of we are not just going to go to church this summer, we're going to be the church. And we're not just going to go to church, we're going to be the church. And so everything we're going to talk about, I want you to kind of put it underneath that filter. That's the idea, that's kind of the the big motivating factor to what we're kind of diving into because we believe it's really easy sometimes especially when you've been doing lots of fun things, like going to the lake and camping and hanging out, you're going to blow stuff up this week. Some of you just don't blow yourselves up. And you go to Red, White, and Boom, and you have a great time, and you come in, and you're tired, all right? And you're just like, oh, we made it. We did it. We checked it off the list, all right? And so the goal, actually, is to this radical idea of actually not just coming or, be, or going to church, but actually being the church. Hey, it's my squad up here. It's my squad. I, I play video games, alright, some of y'all just checked out, that's alright, all right, I play this game called Fortnite, this is my squad right here, alright, we've been running some squads, I'm so proud of y'all, on the front row, you think I have something to say, don't you? You might be right. <laughs> cool, it's good to see you, Sorry, all right. ADD. Alright, we're back, we're back. Now here's the thing, today we're going to talk about uh, kind of a subject that for me uh, is close to my heart. Uh, because it's something that kind of got me into the position I am, as well as I think it grew my understanding of what faith is all about and what following Jesus is all about. And so, for some of you in this room, you may have got drugged to church. You're out here with just family. You, you had a family reunion. We're like, we go to church, and you got here, and you don't even know. <laughs> you haven't been in church in a long time, and you're just kind of a little nervous. Right? It's okay. For some of you in here, you've been going to church your whole life. And so, the, the subject that we're talking about today You've heard it a billion times, and so there's going to be a temptation to tune out, all right? There's going to be a temptation, you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to talk about that again. I don't want to hear that, I don't want to be a guilt trip, I, I don't want to have that lesson one more time. And I'm just going to, just going to point this out to you, all right? If, as long, if you haven't been in church in a long time, or if you've been in church for a long time, there is something at the center of this, this subject, that is so in, It is so ingrained in each of us, that we have this desire to want to feel like our life means something. That, that there's something inside of us that, that we want to know that what we're doing matters. And, and not just like the big picture thing, you know? Not the thing that you're like down the road, you're like on your deathbed, you're like, at least I did, duh. Not just that. Like, I'm talking about the everyday things. I'm talking about the things that you do on Monday mornings. You know what I'm talking about? the things that you do Wednesday afternoons. I'm talking about the things that you're like, what does this even matter? And and I know each of us, no matter where we're at in our journey of faith, or no matter where we're at in our belief in Jesus, I know each of us in deep down is asking that real hard question. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm about, is, is who I am, does it really matter at the center of it? And so when I say the word, serve I know for a lot of you in here you're like Bleh. and it kind of maybe it has like a reaction of like oh gosh I got that speeding ticket and I had to serve or maybe for some of you it was an obligation early on in your life that you were said you had to do it and for a lot of you in the middle it's intimidating you're not sure if you have the skills You're not sure if you know what to do. You're not sure if everyone even wants you to. You're more worried you might break something than help something. That was my case. But I'll just tell you, on my faith journey, on my own faith journey, serving was where I saw the rubber hit the road for what the message in the gospel is all about. Serving is where it took it from words and it put it to real. Serving is where I saw the ideas and the message and the theology of what Jesus was all about, serving is where, where, where things became real. And what was out there <laughs> and was hopeful for uh, came to be and came to find me. And so no matter where you're at, I hope that you'll hear my message today is not going to be a plea for Kingsway to get people to serve. <laughs> at the end of it, there's not a trick, all right? So at the end of this, you're like, oh, thanks, cool, fill out the card, got it, thank you, awesome, need 12 people in the nursery with crying babies, I'm in, all right? It's not that, all right? The beauty of our church, and I, I don't want to say this, I don't want to underscore it, there are still needs here, but we have a great, incredible body of people that serve in our ministries. My goal is not to do that today. Though there are opportunities, you could choose to do that. My goal here today is for you to think about that everyday question of purpose. My goal for you today is to think about your daily life, your daily life, and to really engage the idea of what am I doing that has meaning and purpose? And maybe, just maybe, we may find out that there's something wrapped up in this idea of serve that is not a one-month thing, one-time-a-month thing, or one-time-a-year thing, or a weekend that we all do it together, but maybe it's something tied into a greater role and a larger purpose on a smaller scale. Maybe, maybe this idea is something that you and I are supposed to play a small role and a greater purpose on a greater scale, but it's a small role. It's a small act. So let's just talk about it. Can we just start there? All right? Let's start there, but let's dive into... Jesus. Right? That's where I like to start. And I want to I point you to a story that Jesus, not a story, an account. Because I say story and then you guys go, oh, it's cool. It's a little fairy tale. No, no, no. It's an account. And it, it's something that we have that John wrote in one of the four, basically, accounts of Jesus' life. It's the fourth gospel Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's probably like the second oldest account. Mark's probably just a little bit earlier, but John's is really early. And John's is intentional in the gospel that he wrote in the message that he wrote in the account that he writes down because he had a under, I mean, just an under appreciation for the God, or I should say an over appreciation, gosh, under, over appreciation for how God felt about him. In fact, he he says that he is the one that God loved. He is the one that Jesus loved. That's the way he describes himself in the book, which is just an incredible thing. He doesn't use his name. He uses the description of how he feels like Jesus felt about him. And so in the center of this, this this letter, this account is chapter 13, and it's this amazing event that happens with his disciples. Now, Jesus has been traveling, healing, he's been laying out his kingdom work, he's been laying out his kingdom message, and he now is preparing for kind of the final stages before he's going to the cross. And of course, we have the uh, awesome ability to be able to look back and know what was going on. And if you've ever watched a movie twice, it's a lot easier to pick up on things after you've seen the ending. And so they don't have that. And so let's just give them a little bit of grace when we read these accounts because we're reading in real time what's really happening. And this is one of those events that when you, when you hear it and, you, and you, under, you, you get it, like it should click with you. When you know the cross is in the background, when you know the empty tomb is coming, when you realize the sacrifice, the blood that we just said, when you realize what's going on big picture-wise, of what Jesus' message in life is really all about. It clicks. But I want you to see how small this event is, how small it is. I want you to feel how mundane it feels almost, but how big of an impact and how much of a larger of a picture it's playing a role in. All right, so here it is. Now that I've built it all up, I'm sure it'll underdeliver, but we're gonna try it together. All right, John 13. It was just before Passover, which is the largest celebration. This idea of them being rescued out of Egypt. This Passover meal was a celebration of that salvation that had come through Moses. So cool. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. That is so cool. You know, basically what he said right there is, I love these people. I love these people that I've surrounded myself with. Oh, man, these guys are amazing. Amazing. So cool. He's like, I like them. I love them. The, the, me, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of uh, Simon the Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So this is getting real close, all right, to the end. Real close. So you know this. When you have a little bit of time left, what do you do? You just kind of lollygag around, or you do really significant things. If you had just a few minutes, Right? You better be focused. So what's coming next better be pretty important if Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Oh, he knew this. Man, there's a whole other section in here. I don't have the time to go about this, but the idea that Jesus grew in his understanding of who he was, and you think about that for a little bit. Does a baby know who he is when he's born? Just think about that for a little. That'll blow your mind. It's okay. But here's the idea. He grew in his understanding. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was going to return to him. His faith is solid. He knows what's coming. The biggest so in this whole section right here. So. So. What led him to do what he's about to do is his understanding of who he is and why God put him right where he was, And just to remind you of who he is, he is God, and he is there to die to save the world and resurrect, defeating the power of death. So, out of that identity, what does he do? He got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. Now pause, go back to that real quick. Think of this. This is such beautiful symbolism. John's recording this, and you can tell when he's writing this, he's he's realizing Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew that he had been given this incredible honor. He knew that he was secure and that God was gonna bring him, and he knew all that, and then he takes off this outer garment, and he wraps this towel around his waist. This is symbolism. He is removing his status in front of them. He's removing his place of station as their teacher. He is stepping out of the privilege of his position. And he is humbling himself right in front of them to the lowest position of the house. You just play this in your mind? This is what Jesus did when he came. It's just symbolism. It's beautiful. It's like, I know who I am. I know why God sent me. And I am here with a message. I love these people. So he gives them symbolism. He gives this incredible thing, takes the garment off, lowers himself. Now, what the heck is going on here? Because we don't wash people's feet. Go to the next verse. Because this is what ends up happening. After that, he poured the water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel, and then wrapped around him, that he had wrapped around him. Now, pause. How many in here have washed someone else's feet outside of some sort of religious ceremony in a church? Okay, it was not a single hand. I was going to ask what the context would be. I don't want to, like, what in the heck? So it, it, this is totally weird, right? We read this now. If you grew up in the church, this isn't weird. Right? If you grew up in the church, if you didn't grow up in the church, you're reading that going, what? <laughs> just imagine you invite some neighbors over this week. Just invite them over. Don't explain anything. Take your shirt off. Wrap a towel around your waist. Go pour a basin of water and just go underneath the table. Just think about that for a minute. Right? We like to just pretend like this just makes sense when we read it is context, all right? Now, back then, they only had one speed, and that was the horsepower, all right? Single horse, single camel, single donkey, and two pairs of shoes, or one pair of shoes, two, two feet, all right? That was the only thing they had for transportation. So they wore open-toed shoes, and there was no, like, hey, Let's have all the camels poop on the right side of the road. Let's have all the donkeys poop on the left, and you know, let's just clean, keep the roads clear. All right? No, this was—it's free for all. All right? There was no little plastic baggies for them to just take and just—you know—there was none of that. And I know it's gross, but I want you to just, I want this to just stick in your mind of what's actually being done here. There's dung here. All right? This is the lowest position in the house because it has to be done every time to keep a house clean. You have to wash your feet. You you, you know the rules when you grew up, right? Take your shoes off at the front, go wash your hands before you eat, right? This is that style of thing. And if you were of a station or of a privilege, you would actually have a person who would wash your feet. But that was even a high station. There was a lot of times, there was just your own basin and your own towel that you had to take care of yourself. And the reason was because they didn't sit at a table like this. All right? I wish I had a chair. I should have thought about this. Hey, I'm going to steal this. All right? They didn't sit this. This is me ad-libbing. You're with me. Let's do this together. They didn't sit at a chair like this. They lounged on the floor. So see, my feet don't smell right here. But if I put my foot up like this and you're lounging like this, right next to my foot, it stinks. Now I know I'm taking my time to lay this out for you, but you guys, this is such a small act, but it's gross. It's not really fun. And in this society that honored positions of teacher, that honored positions of rabbi, is the guy I'm following. And this place that saw those that had earned their station to keep it, to hold it, to be elevated. This was crazy. Crazy. All right, keep going. He came to Simon Peter. So here's... Where this starts to point out. Simon Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Don't touch me. I mean, in here, freak out if I wanted to wash your feet. Just be honest, be honest, all right? You're freaking out right now. You're like, don't touch my feet. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse seven. Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse eight, I'm sorry, we're going to jump to verse 12 because Peter gets angry, all right? Peter has the response that Peter always does. If you have not grown up in church, let me tell you right now, Peter is your man. You would love Peter. And if you grew up in church, you relate to him a lot, don't you? Peter says all the things that you're like, oh, you're an idiot. (laughs) Because the very next thing Peter says, he says, all right, all right, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my whole body, all right? Why would Peter say that? Peter's saying that because he's thinking this is a ritual cleaning. He's thinking this is a Jewish ceremony, that Jesus is bringing in a new Jewish thing. And so he's like, oh, okay, so this is like preparing for the meal. I need to be fully clean. And Jesus is over there going, face palm. Oh, my gosh. Really? You're not picking up on what I'm putting down? This is totally new. This is just about me. This is something completely different. Verse 12, we pick up the story, and this is what he says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said this, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. (laughs) Jesus loves to ask questions that point out that they have no clue. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He is confirming to them his identity. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, and have what washed your feet, you also, you also should wash one another's feet. So here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna just have basins along the aisles, and everybody's gonna wash. Are we freaking out? <laughs> you two should wash each other's feet. Now, at this point, if it's literal, we're in trouble, right? because nobody in here is like excited about that. But if this is something of greater significance, maybe the symbolism of what's going on in here is something we need to pay attention to. So what's he say next? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Pause real quick. If Jesus is about to take off, what's the first question when Jesus leaves? Who's in charge? Isn't that the first question when Jesus leaves? Who's in charge? And guess what he's saying right now? I still am. Don't forget it. (laughs) I'm still in charge. No one's greater. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now let me just point out, I know we took time to walk through that, and I know for some of you that was totally new, and for some of you that was like review, all right? But look, there is something that happens in this text. Just three little things I'm gonna point out. They're not gonna be on the screen. Jesus loved these people, he lowered his station to serve them and then called them to do the same. He loved them, he lowered his station to serve them, and then he called them to do the same. Called them to do the same. I want you to think about this. Being the church means being an active example of love. Being the church is a call to be an active example of love. I love Bob Bob Goff has just got me right now because I've been reading his new book. Everybody does. And it's just, it's all up in my heart. And then he's tweeting all these awesome quotes. Does anybody follow Bob Goff? He's amazing. He just tweets and then Facebooks all this stuff. And this was his quote this week as I'm preparing. Here's, Here's his quote this week. Jesus doesn't turn people into Christians. He turns them into love. Jesus doesn't turn people into Christians. He turns them into love. Remember when I asked you at the very beginning of this? Could it be, could it be that serving is actually stepping into the greater purpose that you are meant to be, and that is active examples of love? Could it be that the creator whose fingerprints are on you, whose image you bear, who chose to love and to lower himself and then called us to the same example, could it be that this is something that has more purpose, a greater position for influence, and really something of larger significance than just an opportunity or an obligation? I, I think this to me, It starts to say that he's calling us to a kingdom-mindedness that we so easily neglect. Because I'll love if it's convenient and I'll love if I feel it. But I don't know if I'll love if it costs. And I don't know if I'll love if I don't see the outcome. And I don't know if I'll love if I don't get love back. But maybe that's not the type of love that God's talking about. So how do we know which love, or how do we know the love that we're supposed to love with? How do we know how we're supposed to be active with this love? I got two thoughts. The one is if you're going to love as God has called you to love, to be active in your example of love as Jesus has called you to, how to be that love is you have to know God's love for you. Um, i had the privilege of doing a, a small ceremony and a wedding just a few days ago, and it's so fun to sit down with a, with a couple and, and explain to them the difference between the commitment of the state of Missouri and the covenant that God has called marriage. Uh, if you've never heard the difference, a commitment in the state of Missouri is uh, it's a commitment like a barter, right? You, you go and you say, look, yes, as long as you make me happy and as long as things are good and as long as I feel the same way and as long as I will be committed to you, and the other person says the same thing. It's kind of like standing across from each other and going, okay, what do you got? All right. This is what I got. Good. Good. All right?" The, the problem is, and this is crazy for my mind to think about this. I was looking at this research the other day. Just at an anatomic level, all right, just, just talk about science here for a second. Some of you can't talk about science in church. Yes, you can. All right. Your cells renew every seven to ten years. Did you know that? Did you know just at an anatomic level, you are not the person you were seven to ten years ago? <laughs> Literally, your body has rebuilt itself in seven to ten years. And if you've been married longer than ten minutes, all right, you change. And things, things change. Life changes, Feelings change. Commitment levels can even change. And so the difference between commitment and covenant is a covenant is a hundred percent offering of yourself to another person, good, bad, and ugly, you say this, I give you everything that I have forever, and I will do everything I can to love you in myself for you forever. Now, that's super simplified, incredibly simplified, because what ends up happening, right, is the other person goes 100-100, to right, with commitment's 50-50, covenant's 100-100. The other person goes, I am in 100%. Right? I'm in 100%. The problem is what? Sometimes we don't give 100% back in marriage. Those of you in single out here, let me just, let me just look. Marriage is amazing. It is an incredible gift. But it is really hard. It is not easy. because, it's, a lot of times when I say that, uh, what, uh, what we like to think is that the, the person I'm married to is difficult. That's, that's where my mind goes immediately, because I have the best wife on the face of the planet. And anytime my mind one, runs there, I'm like, yeah, that's the problem, Trevor. She's the problem, you idiot. <laughs> because what ends up happening is my attempts to give 100% fall short fall short of even being the 50% that the Missouri would want me to give. Fall short of my mind wandering. Fall short of giving selflessly and being available. They fall short. And, and though it's 100% of what I have, it's still not enough. It's not. But yet, that's what marriage is because the other person offers that back. Hopefully. <gasps> Hopefully. In a perfect covenant, yes. That's why a covenant is different than a commitment. Because when things get rough, the God who says he has a covenant with you and that you are his bride doesn't give up on you when you can give nothing. Because he loves you. And he comes after you. And he's not done seeking you. He is relentless reckless. He is giving a 100% to keep hold of you. He is absolutely for you and wants nothing but the best for you. And we like to see it like a commitment sometimes, God's love. As long as I get myself right, as long as I stop doing this, as long as I start doing this, and figure it out. And that could not be further From the truth, you are invited to give 100% of yourself, scars, warts, and all, right now to God because he is 100% committed to you. That's how God loves. And that's how God feels about you and me. And whether you're single, you're married, rest in that. If your marriage is falling to pieces and it feels like it's breaking apart around you, Rest in the love and the covenant that your father has with you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He is with you. And if you're single and you're crying out and it is, the, it is the thing that you want to experience, to have, rest in the thought that your heavenly father is 100% committed to you. That he is for you. That he wants the best for you. That he thinks you're worth it. He sees you as beautiful, valuable, and 100% accepted. Paul says it like this, and I just, this verse is like, this is like some of my favorite verses that Paul writes because he's trying to explain this love to some people that are having a hard time getting it, and this is his words. I just tried to use this imagery, but listen to what, listen to what Paul says. Probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture. For this reason I kneel before the Father... From whom every family on heaven and earth, no matter how broken, no matter how distant, no matter how perfect, every family on heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with an inner power, with power through his Holy Spirit in the innermost being. To do what? To do what, Paul? What will he strengthen us for? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Jesus would get in? That's what you're calling for? Strength so that Jesus would get in? So this would be real? That's it? And I pray that you being rooted and established, rooted, you draw everything from, all your nutrients, all your strength, all your courage, all your self-image, all your power to move in this world and establish in a made power together with all the Lord's holy people, with all the people that have re- recognized this, all the people that have experienced this, all the people that know and have seen it be true, to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, and how high is the love of Christ. And to know this love even in the darkest moments, even in the most broken times. And even when you feel like celebrating and acting like something else is more, more important, this is still true. That surpasses all knowledge. You may be filled to the full measure. And I can't even say it, anything bigger, so I'm just going to go say the full measure of God. <laughs> something huge. Something beyond your understanding. That is is Paul's cry to the church in Ephesus, and that is my cry for you. Because that does something to you. That awakens something in you. That, that That tells me something is important that I have, that I am, that my Father and my God and my Savior loved me and felt that way about me. Second one, if we're going to love, be active examples of love, that's what we're going to be as the church, we have to follow Jesus' example. Follow Jesus' example. I know these are super, super simple, but follow Jesus' examples. It was alluded to in John, but let me just show you Paul's reflection on what he experiences recognizing that Jesus died for us. Notice the imagery that we read in John 13 pop up in this imagery that, that Paul says in Ephesians chapter, or I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 2. Watch this. So cool. Therefore, if you have any commitment from being united with Christ, if you have felt that love, if you experience that love, if you come into you and you recognize that love, any commitment, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, what are we supposed to do, Paul? Tell us. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and a mind. What is that mind? What is that spirit? Paul, tell me, tell me, tell me. What does it look like? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others greater than yourself. Oh, above yourself. I don't want to do it. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. My wife and I can't even pick a restaurant. How am I supposed to do this with no people I don't even know? It's tough. And here's the example. In relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, as Jesus. Who, here's that example. Look at the imagery here. Paul gets it. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Remember, he recognized, I am God. Who? I'm God. I've been positioned here. There's faithful. And what does he do in the very, so he takes off the rope. And he wraps the towel. And he gets on his knees. And rather he made himself nothing, by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient not to wash feet. No. Something greater. Something bigger. He's obedient to the Father's will of love for us, even to death and death on a cross. Man, if that doesn't speak to the example that we've been told that we're supposed to live up to, how many of you guys, when you read that, you're just like, man, I'm so glad I did that this week? (laughs) Right? If you've been a Christian a long time, you read that, and what do you immediately do? Guilt, shame, frustration. You remember? Listen, this isn't a this isn't a commitment. This isn't a commitment. That shame and that guilt that's creeping in. That's that feeling that you're supposed to measure up to receive what you've been given by your obedience by your ability to maintain an image, (laughs) to pretend like you deserve it. And Jesus' example is not to love the people that loved him. And it's not to love the perfect ones. Jesus' example is to sit with those who ask stupid questions, who act in inappropriate ways, who even deny him and still wash their feet, and still love them. You and I are not called to be perfect. We are called to love with the love that is perfectly given to us, and to follow the example that Jesus has given us, to love that way, not because it earns us some sort of station, not because it gives us something of of clout that we can one day deserve what we've been given, but to receive and then fully reflect what already is inside of us. To reflect the love that we have been given and shared and made in the image of. Maybe serving serving has a larger role than obligation. Maybe serving actually has something of destiny and identity and true purpose wrapped up in it what if what if being the church isn't an obligation to serve what if it's an opportunity to be love what if the church being the church isn't about an obligation to serve what if what if being the church is actually an opportunity to be love what if we saw service As something that you and I go, no, not shame and guilt for salvation, but an opportunity to reflect the kingdom that we're a part of. What if we saw it not as something that we have to do to maintain a relationship, but we saw it as a reflection of the relationship that we're already in with our Heavenly Father? An opportunity to reflect the love that we've been given. Now, whenever I say these, I, I want you to know I, I say these points and I convict myself and I go, wow. And if you haven't been in church for a long time you're like, so these Christians are supposed to be serving people? <laughs> Where's that going on? And I'm tempted to play the same game in my, own, in my own heart. I'll just tell you this right now. I get paid to do this, you guys. And it's tempting sometimes to just check the box that I serve just is. And I know for some of you in here, you served at one point in your life, and you were good at it, and then you went, I think I've done my duty. I think I've checked that box. And for some of you in here, you don't think you're ready yet. You're not holy enough. You don't know enough Bible yet. You don't know the biblical words, right? Something, I say something like hermeneutics, and you just go, I'm done. <laughs> and that's Okay. You start somewhere. Years ago, one of the first series that I ever preached, I I talked about this concept of serving. And uh, some of you might have even been here. And I, I used one small thing that God was using in my own heart to demonstrate how this isn't some massive act that's a part of some great change that normally service is. It's actually a daily reminder of who I am that service should be. The church should be daily reminded. And I used an example that was kind of silly, but it's something that stuck with me, and I wanted to just remind you of it. Uh, You remember when Walmart uh, first started, they had uh, these little things in the parking lot that everybody kind of banged each other's cars with? Do you remember those little, what are those called, grocery, grocery carts? You remember these? You know, they just kind of blow around the parking lot, bang into everything. And I read an article about how supermarkets, when they first put these in, they didn't even have a role for the people to bring the shopping carts in from the parking lot because people would just bring them back. But then they came up with this idea that maybe we should just put these things out in the parking lot so people can't even walk the distance from their car back into <laughs> the shopping cart. So let's just put them all the place. And then what ended up happening is they put those out there, but there wasn't enough of them. So then people just kind of fill a parking spot. Is there anything that ticks anybody off more than that? You pull in and there's a shopping cart there. You're like, really? See? Satan. It's in me. It's sin. Ah! But here's here's the silly little example. I don't go home and go, you know what I need to do? I need to wash my wife's feet. Maybe I do. I go home and then I get in my car and I drive to Walmart to pick up eggs and milk and then I get my eggs and milk, and in my selfish little endeavor, I get out to my car in 100-degree weather, and then I think, I need to take this cart back in. And it has nothing to do with trying to be some super Christian. Super. It is a reminder to my heart that there are simple opportunities around you every day to demonstrate what it looks like to show love and to serve, you would not—you would be so surprised how surprised people are when you walk back up with a cart. The cart people there—they're like, "What are you doing? You you forget something? No, I just just bringing the cart back. <laughs> Who are you? You're a unicorn. <laughs> I, I'm serious." And, and here's, the, here's the crazier thing. You bring it back in and you hand it to somebody. You're like, hey, I got this for you. As they walk in, you, they look at you like you're almost a creeper. Like, what are you doing? You put something on this card? <laughs> you know? What you doing? Nobody does that. Listen, I, I'm not trying to compare myself to Jesus by any means. All right? Y'all know that's not true. All right? But Jesus looked plenty silly. And Jesus looked way out of character, and it was way below what he saw himself, what everybody else saw himself as taking on a position to serve. But I promise you, when he took that outer garment off, and he wrapped that towel around his waist, and he got it on his knees, and he washed those people's, his disciples' feet, not one of them in that room doubted that he loved them. Not one of them. They might not have understood. They might have thought he's a little weird but not one of them doubted that he cared deeply about him. Listen, all I want you to do is I want you to look at your life. I I want you to look right where you're at and I want you to find a place that is a shopping cart for you. Maybe it's the recycling bin at your work that is always full and everybody's just shoving as much of that paper right next to the printer and nobody wants to take it out and you're going to be the one, all right? Maybe you're at home And it's that stupid set of Legos that those kids pull out every day. And it's a landmine at night. And then you and everybody in that house plays a game of who's going to pick it up first. Maybe it's the lady next to you that needs her lawn mowed. Maybe it's just you have an umbrella and someone forgot theirs at the supermarket. And you make one extra trip to keep somebody dry. Maybe it just starts there. Places where it may be a little awkward, you may not completely understand even what you're doing, but you're going to start. And I think in that moment, what you're going to discover is that you may be looking for some grand purpose that God is leading you towards, a purpose for your life. And you may find the route that you may find yourself in years later, like myself. Started by showing up and just serving in the simplest ways, actively being faithful with the things that were right in front of you. And little by little, day by day, God grows his love in your heart. God shows his example of Jesus to be still true about you, and he reveals that he has greater things for you to be a part of. And it starts with simple acts of love, active love serving the people around you to discover a greater purpose. Don't just go to church this summer. Be the church, an active example of love. Pray with me.